struggling for an introduction this week, but we'll just get on with it. Welcome to Hand of Pot. to say we are uh, recording for the first time ever in hand of pod history in the fine barrio of palermo this week for episode 81 yeah 81 yes you're right yeah last week was 81 wasn't it um no, last week was 80 yes sorry I'm, it's starting already <laughs> we're going downhill right from the start here i apologize um i'm sam kelly as you've already heard um ed Malian's voice hello we are at his uh, temporary abode here in buenos aires welcome back ed You've also, very briefly in the background there, just heard uh, Joel Richards' voice. Hello. And also that of English Dan, Dan Edwards. Good evening. Um, we're back to discuss a fun-filled weekend of World Cup qualifiers across South America. Um, principally, of course, Argentina, who did what, gentlemen? Does anybody want to break the monotony of my voice? Well, shouldn't we um, have a quick run-around and see what everyone predicted? We, we could do that. I, mean, I can't even remember. I, mean, uh, I remember. Did well and uh, did, I, did do well. I so. went for uh, four points. I said one, four one points. I said, four, I said uh, win draw. I went for six. You two both went for win win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did go for win win. I'm really clever. I didn't even realise. Um, one of the things that I didn't predict, even though I, um, I did predict Argentina winning, was Argentina's defence looking quite as uh, good as it did in the face of quite a lot of pressure, really, last night. Um, I think that's very controversial. Mm. You don't think it looked controversial? I think very controversial. I thought yeah. the two centre... Well, should we explain what the results were first? Well, I mean... Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. I think, centre-back yeah. pairing, sorry. Centre-back yeah. pairing, yeah. 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 Full-backs were diabolical. Candanaro was um, presentable. To clarify, this was a 2-0 win over Chile? 2-1. 2-1. 2-1. I forgot that. 2-0 win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, know, I, I think the defence... Just because they didn't concede doesn't mean they were for, well didn't concede for so long mm. doesn't mean that they were their fullbacks yeah. were ropey. Yeah, it's probably one of Federico, Federico Fernandez's best games. I thought Goday. Yeah, well, well, that's clarify yeah, regarding the fullbacks. Um, Marcos Rojo, who played left back during the three 0 win over um, Uruguay yeah, on Friday in Mendoza, was injured and couldn't play on Tuesday night against Chile. So Pablo Zabaleta, um, who played at right back, was moved across to left back, and Hugo Campanaro. Was was brought in to, to play right back, um, which perhaps uh, partly excuses at least the, the performance, particularly for Zabaleta, who's although he is capable of playing on on both sides of the defence, is far more used to playing at right back. But then uh, this is something I do not understand. Like I'm not going to go into Sabella's favourites because it's a topic we've covered many many a time, and they took six points. You can't not that, but. On the bench for that game against Chile, because also um, you had Gina Peruzzi, he was on the, on the squad list against Uruguay, but he was injured. Now, let yeah. me finish. Let me finish. Sorry. On the bench against Chile was Matias Rodriguez of Universidad yeah. de Chile. Yeah. A really good fullback, like we all know, like pressures and gets forward really well. But as well, someone who plays in Chile and obviously would know exactly how they're going to play. Like, how many of that Chile team have 
have a pass day in Universidad or they've been through there like it seems he had a brilliant chance to bring him in against in a football that he knows, a football he's really familiar with. An a game agent. and a game that would have suited him as well because he could have really attacked and pressured like we saw from Chile all the time and that he just put in Camanero who is an average centre back and a worse fullback. It, no, it made no sense and it you know, if it wasn't for a couple of pretty good saves from Romero and a couple of good interventions from the centre backs uh, Argentina could have been 2 0 down very quickly and it would have been a whole different game. Yeah, I think there's two things here. One, uh, everyone knows the defence is, is the issue here because we'll talk about Messi and Iguain and the word on Di Maria in a minute, but uh, everyone knows the defence is a problem. It's the eighth consecutive game that Garay and Fernandes have played have started at centre backs. I think that's which really is very positive. They both are the future at centre backs. Yeah, absolutely, but the full backs is a major issue, mm. and so much so that I mean, Savella said it. He said he was asked about it in, in the press conference, and, and well, I'm not sure if it was in the press conference or on the radio today. Anyway, he said, um, "Well, you, you, you know, and I know that uh, full backs mm. are the problem." And and you're right. I think there's just a few things here which you know don't quite add up in terms of why didn't he go with um, with Matias Rodriguez Campanella was poor but I mean Sabaleta though I was surprised because he's got a lot of experience yeah. and as much as he's out of position no. he's a professional international yeah. level oh, player yeah, yeah, he was and, given an absolute still, there was so, so much space what, 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 one, thing, one thing I did think was that he wasn't Sabaleta was perhaps not given the, the same sort of protection that he's used to because generally he's playing on the right side of defence behind when you've got Javier Mascherano in the centre of that fairly narrow midfield three that Argentina used behind Fernando Gago who's generally just to Mascherano's right yeah. who provides him with more protection than Angel Di Maria did which is yeah, a, a very it's not just that he had um, did, I mean actually Di Maria did make one very good defensive yeah, block yeah, 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 yeah. but he, he did he left his double at high dry a lot of the time and they just doubled up on him. I mean, you've got people like uh, Sanchez and uh, Pinto who like to drift into the wide areas. Yeah. So he was, Zabaleta had Alexis Sanchez to deal with, and then Isla running directly at him. I mean, it was just overload and no help. I mean, it compounded the problem. Quite a few times, it actually looked like there was no one at left back. Yeah. Yeah, there was no, so it, much space. It was incredible. Because, uh, he'd gone with Sanchez, mm. or he'd gone with yeah. whoever was yeah. playing kind of. And Isla was, he was right back, but he's playing as yeah. a winger, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, Chile really came out of the blocks. That, that, that first 20 minutes, minutes especially, just. Oh. Flying. Brilliant football, yeah. but do you not think it's it? kind of that? Maybe think about. I don't. I don't think Chile are that good a team at the moment under Borgi. I think mean, they've got some good players, but they overachieved under Bielsa, which kind of affects our opinion mm. of them. But I think the the worry for Argentina has to be that I think they, Chile just knew the weakness was Argentina's defence. So you press that defence, you're going to put them under pressure. They're going to make mistakes. They should have scored at least once in that first 20 minutes. Yeah. Essentially, they yeah. finish, or uh, you know, just suddenly gets lucky on the day, gets a deflection or something like that. You know, in a World Cup, Argentina could get vanquished. They could have been 3-0 down inside 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, a better, a better side, maybe even like a any European side with a bit more class up, kind of. Yeah. Like, Another thing which really underlines the the right hand side is um, and, and Isla's performance in particular. I was looking up a couple of figures earlier. Um, and Mauricio Isla playing at right back completed more passes than anybody in the Argentina team, mm. and he was only the second. Uh, second place in Chile for, for completed passes during the match who's the other uh, see you're asking me now I'm, I'm just looking it up actually funnily enough so wouldn't be Medel he was a no. beast absolutely yeah, he was no it was one of the guys in midfield in yeah. central midfield Diaz yeah. I think it was yes yeah, Alfonso no, Alfonso Diaz Marcelo Diaz Marcelo Diaz that's one that's the issue for Argentina is, I mean obviously they came out of the game which at the end of the day is a fairly inconsequential qualifier I mean obviously it's three points and 
they pretty looks they look kind of set for World Cup 2014. But mm. it's the fact that Chile so obviously had worked out their weakness because they saw exactly the same thing against Peru. It's like seeing the same defensive display and the yeah. same attacking display from the home team. You know, Peru well, every time they doubled I mean, up on each. At the same time, yeah, working out Argentina are relatively weak in defence isn't an enormous. Uh, it, it doesn't take the most incisive touch. No, but, but it is. No, but the but fact that they couldn't remedy it yeah. in time for this game, with all you know the resources Argentina had, it is a worry. It's also counterintuitive as well when you're playing against a team with Messi, Aguero, and Higuain. Um, it's counterintuitive to go on the front foot. Really, like a lot of teams would just go back to four, and we've seen teams do it, and then you know eventually Messi breaks through. I mean, Uruguay basically didn't get their half. No. On Friday night, mm. I think it was something like Argentina had sixty-three percent of possession against Uruguay and about forty-seven, forty-six against Chile. And it shows the difference. I mean, the goal, for the first goal against Chile came against the run of play, mm. and I was just watching it with uh, some friends here, and they, who you know they're not huge on South American football, but they could see that Chile were battering Argentina. Mm-hmm. But one of them pointed out and said, "Well, I wouldn't mind having Aguero and Messi on the counter attack." You know, no, two of the better players you could have. Ideally situated to, to play away matches in yeah, you know, and, oh, and, and those two goals came relatively close together. It was a Lionel Messi three minutes opener, two, yeah. which um, I informed Ed on Twitter I was going to beat him to say in this because it's my <laughs> phrase, damn it, my comparison with a drag back uh, reminiscent of, uh, to me at least, reminiscent of Ferris Pushkas against England in uh, I, I was not <laughs> in the stadium at the time, no, um, but the phrase fireman dashing to, to the wrong fire uh, did come into my mind when the defender slipped past him, and then Gonzalo Higuain charging down a, a long ball from, fantastic pass by Gago as well from, 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 from Messi. Oh, from Messi, um, the pass from Gago is sensational, yeah, yeah, like really through, through traffic, I mean it's, it's kind of he's, he's plopped it yeah. between six defenders, yeah, yeah. kind of equidistant between them, Messi's found the space beautifully, obviously just dropped into that little hole. But actually what I liked Obviously the drag back Phenomenal mm. um, And it's the way He changes direction That obviously Makes him so good But it's when he stops that And drags it back But then oh, The finish is, is brilliant Because yeah. it just looks like he's, yeah. gonna, he's shaping All the way To curl that in yeah. Everyone is expecting Even like the, I didn't realise He hadn't curled it In the far post Until the replay When you see He's just dinked it Near post <laughs> Sent everyone the wrong way Like oh The guy's just Magic. A joke and he's developed a, a habit in, in these last couple of matches of two real moments of brilliance that kind of underlined what were two, I mean, last night a relatively muted performance perhaps, but still one of the best players on the pitch. And on Friday evening, sliding a free kick underneath the wall. And on both occasions, on Friday after the match, he says, well, I could see the keeper was going to go for the high ball, obviously the wall were going to jump, and I saw Pirlo doing it a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, mm, let's have a go, and luckily it's gone in. Yeah. And then last night he says, yeah, the, the drag back sort of came off without just running away from me well, because the pitch was slightly yeah, drier. Yeah. He's starting off loading the credit onto, you know, <laughs> just saying, oh no, yeah. it's, it's luck. No, it's not brilliant really though, because it's, it's perfect logic. And, and yeah. I've yeah. talked to, to my missus about this because she was, um, Ed, she was just like, we were chatting about Messi. And, and this is the thing with Messi, like, he's not interested in anything that isn't football. No. And it's all, I mean, he, he gets back to Barcelona in pre season early. And it's not because he's, you know, he's a teacher's pet or anything. It's just, he doesn't, he's not interested by anything else. Holidays, you know, he, all he does when he's interested in it is, is football. And that's the thing, like, you can say it's being modest. It's like, oh, you know, the, well, the, the ball actually just was a bit behind me, so I had to do it. But, but it's that is like just it's how quick it is. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. so quick the whole thing, yeah. that, um, that it's astonishing. And, and obviously we're talking about the Chile game more, but, but I mean, against Uruguay, he was incredible. I mean, yeah. obviously with the two goals, one mm. tap in, his pass... For the, which set up the Aguero goal yeah. is absolute sensation full pace yeah. little thing chipped pass which was like the second goal the the second that was a fantastic team goal incredible. and it just summed up everything you know we've been a bit unkind to Argentina in, in defence already so let's say something about attack that second goal 
basically summed up everything they want to do going forward. You know, rapid one touch passing, like putting it out to one flank, coming back in the middle. You know, it's weird. It's, it's they just can do anything about it. Yeah. It's actually quite just an unbalanced. Asymmetric formation. It's purpose, but, but, but purposely it unbalanced. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, the goals come from Di Maria because they're just, they're just the overload on the left. Yeah, you know, and Di Maria's out there. And you've got he's got three players inside yeah. him. There's, there's no real width on the right. Like you feel like they don't. Though Higuain comes across a lot. Yeah, Higuain in this tactic, and Aguero yeah. are both, and obviously Messi as well, are both yeah. capable of, of drifting wide and causing problems. I and mean, Higuain's goal last night. Mm. Was exactly. That, that. that was a great goal as well. Yeah. By the way, that was yeah, pretty poor yeah. defending, but it came from yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It came from nothing, um, and I just think um, it's weird that you know there's almost you, you expect formations and stuff to be asymmetric. So Bella's gone with this off balance kind of thing. It just works, mm. and Di Maria absolutely essential um, yeah, against yeah. Uruguay. Against Uruguay, 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 Cover the rest of the other national teams um, in much depth so far in this this qualifying campaign, and um, we've now reached the halfway point. Obviously, so the, the race is very much starting to take shape. And I just wanted to give some props to Ecuador and, and Colombia, really, who are as much, as closely as you can, you know, keeping pace with with Argentina. Argentina currently up twenty points from nine matches. Uh, Ecuador are three behind after nine matches as well. Colombia are one point behind Ecuador, but have a game in hand. Uh, they, they sat Tuesday's round out. They've only played eight. And really, those three teams, I think, have all got one foot in, in South America. In South well, America. They've got three like a boat in South America. Yeah, yeah. very much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they can probably start making a bad money. They don't worry about some Brazil, their group's mm, going to be. They can start yeah, with the yeah, hotels yeah. and whatnot. Colombia will be dark horses for the World Cup 2014. Uh, they have a hell of a team. They've got the players... They've got a good manager in Peckerman, who I know we received a couple of questions about. Mm. Um, it's on the continent, which I think a lot of people go mm. for because you know, like no European teams ever won in South America. I think it's going to be, you know, a team like um, like Colombia who's going to everyone going to get on behind and get on board because they yeah. play some nice stuff. I mean, yeah. Considering how defensive and boring they were at the Copa America, <laughs> they played like a this, this, this stinky four-five-one, felt yeah. completely isolated. And what Peckerman's done there is almost playing like a magic square midfield, yeah. and you're getting you know, McNally Torres and players like that in, but also you've got Pabon or. And it's great to see him playing. He's playing with like two yeah. playmakers as well, like Magnelli, yeah. who's a wonderfully like mercurial, is like not the word, not even the word for him, but and James as well. Magnelli and James behind the front two is ridiculous. Oof. And then well, most attacking to... fullbacks as well, Zuniga and yeah. Almero. Almero is like a winger. Yeah, I wanted to mention Mr. Bond actually because James Rodriguez. Um, he just missed out being on hand pod, didn't he? Because like, he left before. Yeah, he, he did. He, he was he was at Banfield, obviously, for for quite some time before he moved to. I think he left in Porto. July 2010. Yeah, Porto, wasn't it? Yeah, Porto. <laughs> um, so we we didn't manage to, to talk about him on hand pod previously, but for me, he's, he's incredibly underrated player for Colombia, probably because everybody, certainly in the English language media at the moment, is going absolutely apeshit for Falcao. He's an incredibly underrated player for Sup. Like, yeah. I've I loved him ever since I've seen him. I saw him for Banfield. But yeah, I guess he's always he's been one of his players who's always been a little bit under the radar, you know. Been in Banfield in Argentina and then going to Porto, like Portuguese league, which doesn't get the exposure in, as in Spain, Italy. So and he really he's going to be a real surprise, you know. On, on Friday against Paraguay, he was absolutely yeah. superb, sensational. But Paraguay, <sighs> yeah. Paraguay struggling. Paraguay, rubbish, uh, Paraguay rock finally rock. got another yeah. win um, uh, yesterday on, on Tuesday. Um, they they beat Peru one 0 at home. The worst uh, they are still the second worst. Bottom. Um, Bolivia, 
of course. That game, wow. Well, can't possibly yeah. not mention Bolivia's result yesterday. They, they gave uh, Uruguay a 4-1 tonking in La Paz. And okay, it's in La Paz, but if a team managed by Oscar Washington Tavares can lose 4-1, does that maybe make us think that the April 2009 defeat under Diego Maradona, 6-1, was not quite as bad? No, Uruguay, in both of these games, Uruguay, well, they fell off completely in the second half against Argentina, and then in La Paz, they were an absolute shower. I was watching it with my with my Uruguayan housemate, and I was just missed most head and hands. At the same time as Spain v France, so yeah. I... Um, Sort of turned over after an exclamation. Yeah, we were dual screening, um, <laughs> and I was—is that what you call I, it? I was glued to Bolivia Uruguay. It was, yeah. um, my, it was no, incredible. my Uruguayan housemate had his head in his hands. He just like he was laughing at like, just the uh, initial. Well, 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 I say that was hat trick was uh, I mean an average of like one point five yeah, meters com- combined from, 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 the, from the line. Eight yards. I mean, and that just. You know, still, it's a defence, like well, exactly. Yeah. It just shows up very clear. I mean, the marking was dreadful. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, um, they were without Lugano, Godin, Cáceres. Yeah, and the, and the altitude is an issue. I mean, I don't know if you guys, yeah, been, I mean, obviously, you know, like the altitude, yeah. Dan, but uh, in Peru and that. But um, oh yeah, Lima. <laughs> but no, really, I mean, it's here. <laughs> almost in space, like. Austrian guys jump off balloons from there, like. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it is. I mean, I went to La Paz a couple of years ago, and really, just walking up just the hills there is is quite a, I, a, an effort. I don't so have a problem. I can't imagine playing football. I think. I think. But you don't help them. They had to the rarefied air anyway. Yeah, well, about three feet. No, but I think it's because we worked our way up through Peru and before getting there and stuff, so it's a bit more normal. But what I will say is that you can obviously make exceptions for the altitude. But if you look at Bolivia's home record, it's not even no. that. I mean, it's just they've got random results like this where they just tonk a team. Well, this was the um, first game they've won in this qualifiers, wasn't it? But uh, the real... No, second. The real thing um, is, is Uruguay for me because think of the 2011 they had, 2010-11. You know, that year, kind of June 2010 to June 2011, they were just, you know, they were kind of one of the best teams in the world. Well, they won one, is it one game in 12 in 2012? Uh, something <laughs> yeah it's like a horrendous record they, I mean, they, they must have drawn a lot because the, the, the 4-0 the 4-0 loss away to Colombia last month was the end of their their Uruguayan record unbeaten yeah. run which I think was 18 matches so I, 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 I looked at the stats for the um, um, article I was writing the other day where I tipped Uruguay to turn it around we've, we've got a we've got a couple <laughs> of questions on Uruguay um, later on and, and what Tabaris has to do between now and March which is when the next qualifiers are played uh, so we'll, we'll maybe get on to them okay. a little later is there anything else that we wanted to, to talk about in terms of Argentina in terms of, of Sabella and what he needs to do now between he's, he's got a, a bit of a break now um one thing I was going to say was um, when we were talking about uh, what changes is he going to make after the Peru match for instance and, and then saw a very similar performance mm-hmm. as you said uh, Dan um, last night away to Chile was that when you're only on a month between matches there's maybe a bit less scope for uh, going and, and sort of making major changes to, to that area of the squad I think now he maybe will go away and think right what are my alternatives at fullback? Who, who else can I call up but I don't think they're major changes I mean the base of the team's there and you can probably you know argue that Zabaleta can stay uh, right back or he can fill in left back it's just a couple of places which are the issue in a team which looks pretty much settled you know yeah. I don't think it would necessarily Necessitate any major changes, you know. Hmm. I, sorry, sorry. Um, I think we'd all agree we're sold on the front three, mm-hmm. sold on the midfield three. Well, that's, well. What, that's what I was going to say. I think the, the, the midfield, I've 
stay the midfield two really in a, in a front four but anyway yeah. uh, but Gago and Machado were excellent I think yeah. we, we mentioned Gago's pass but he was brilliant yeah. and I think really he's, he's really developed since basically since leaving Real Madrid he had a good season at Roma he's obviously now Valencia and that's just brilliant news for Argentina because yeah. he's, he's the kind of player that does break things up differently yeah. to the way Mascherano does um, and I thought they were both really good over the two, mm-hmm. two squads and I think that's really yeah, important they complement each other very yeah, well yeah. in that kind of I'd previously thought that Mascherano was probably the best centre back that Argentina have and kind of mm. you really you look at young dropping young. him back because you've got so many people like Cambiasso and other people who perform that midfield role Manega. when Benega, I mean, when he comes back, but he'll probably like really cut his head off or shaving or something. <laughs> but the, the problem is, they just um, now you're going with Fernandez Garay, like you don't want to break up that partnership. Like he's giving it time to gel. You don't want to chuck Mascaro in there, even though I think that has to be an option at some point. It's just the it's the fullbacks. I can see him maybe thinking about Mascherano if he decides at any Over point to, to come up with a back three because mm. Mascherano then would be one who can step out into the midfield but he's frequently said that he, he wants to have these other Very systems he? he's yeah. always said that so I think I mean, they'll, they'll keep that in mind I wonder why people like Barkos are in the squad I mean I don't see him going to World Cup 2014 well it's the whole bench like Guinyasu Barcos Guinyasu no Guinyasu Guinyasu is on the bench to terrify the shit out of the players he comes on idiots Argentine football journalists um, like moaning yesterday firstly they moan Guinyasu gets in the squad they're tuning up against Chile Chile doing well and they take off Higuain for Guinyasu which just seems like a a lot because their midfield is getting bypassed time and time again and there's no one getting the ball back in, in midfield Brings on Guinyasu for Higuain, good change. And people losing their rag about, like, you know, a game that's going to hold out, uh, sorry, a change that's going to hold out the game. You've still got Messi and Aguero up front at this point. Just absolutely brainless. I just don't, I don't we, get it. Well, we've, had, we've discussed this a few times, haven't we? And I, I was talking about the Enzo Perez situation. Yeah. When Enzo Perez was playing Estudiantes, everyone wanted Enzo Perez in the national team, kind of midfielder who gets yeah. forward and out wide and all the rest of it. And then he moves to Europe and then. And all of a sudden everyone's like who the hell is Enzo Perez why is he in the setup? this is ridiculous yeah. and it's just this kind of yeah, very short term uh, well poor memory I even one, was willing to accept Sosa coming on because they needed the support on the flanks like, you know, they, I can see Joel's eyes like lighting up at this right, somebody right. else has finally seen well, Joel you know, seen, seen the light I, Sosa's a limited well, player welcome board Sosa's a limited player welcome and board. we know why Savella likes him because you know they were chums uh, they, no no why, why does Savella like him? I'm, I'm like because he knows how it <coughs> really well and he knows inside out what he's going to offer to the team. On, well, last night, he knew what he was going to offer and it's exactly what they needed, which was someone who's disciplined, someone who's going to cover, someone who's going to do the, do the right job. I think it was a good change. I don't, us- I don't usually want to see him in the starting lineup, but I think he was, it was the right change. But again, people moaning about <coughs> the Sosa coming on. Uh, yeah, at least he gave some you know, defensive help out to, to the fullbacks, which is exactly what they needed. Exactly what we said the problem was. They could have lost the game before that. I think the question is this. Yeah. To these two. I'm on board, man. I'm totally but I think, the real, no, I think the real question, the real question for me is this. It's pretty simple, you know. You can make these changes, you're 2-0 up, and you want to see the game out, right? By all means, bring Ginyasu in, bring Sosa in. Like, I don't think they're the names that should be there, but fine, you know, if you want to you know, tighten the game up, you're not expecting any fireworks, but... If you're 2-0 down in that same situation, who comes off the bench to change again? The There's no one. Pastore? He's not on the bench. Uh, 
There's no one, there's no there's Gaitan, there's no what? Pastore. There's Pastore no. not been in the squads, no. Which we, um, yeah. curious. we've got a, a so related you got, question. So you've got Guinea Sousa in the team, Pastore and say Gaitan. I saw Gaitan that got left out. Not up, even yeah. in the squad, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Gaitan's got This is the question, like, if they... Gaitan has been in with Charles Sabella. He's been in, but yeah. he's not now. But also, so this is the question, like, if you need to change something in the last half an hour, who do you turn to? There's... Gaitan would have launched a switch for Di Maria or something up there. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he could play that, that role in that team Definitely. very well. Because yeah. he's, you know, that sort of player as well. You can, you can play wide, but he's essentially a playmaker. And, you know, will get back. And so he's a bit more disciplined than Benfica. Mm. I think... I, the thing for me is, as soon as they qualify, I'd like to see you like Disabato out and Lissandro Lopez and mm. the defender. Mm. Um, people like that getting a chance because... Um, the attack as well. I look it? forward. Desabato is he going to go to the World Cup, or maybe because he trusts him? But no, you please God, God, no, please God, no. Yeah, is that he? You can make Garcia so look like a good decision. Yeah, taking Desabato trumps taking Ariel Garcia. You think? For people, you know? for people that can't see Giles' face expression, <laughs> there's a sort of contortion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think I think De Sabato's a better defender at Argentine league level, and therefore I think, although I'm not by any means suggesting I'd have De Sabato in my wow. <laughs> in my Argentina squad, I think he's better than Garcia. Wow. Uh, I mean, personally, people like Nicolas Pereira surely better than De Sabato. I mean, yeah. Lots, lots of people Colo Colocini，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，他妈的，
the first game that he captained mm. in Calcutta against Venezuela, Sabella's debut match as coach, um, just at the kickoff, uh, Juan Arango came up, was just wandering in the centre circle, and the uh, the again the one of the assistant refs kind of shoved this camera just in front of his face, in front of Messi's face, <laughs> and, uh, really? and Messi kind of looked the other way, and then Arango arrived, and they all shook hands, and that was kind of it. So I mean, it's becoming a bit of a theme for for Messi. You can kind of excuse it, you know. A friendly in India, they're probably never going to have Messi back there. It's, it's fun, but it's a World Cup it's, it's still a FIFA official. It's still a FIFA official. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing. The thing about yeah. those sort of friendlies is, I mean, just to re-emphasize, they were playing Venezuela in Calcutta. Yeah, that uh, says you know the, these friendlies they all. I mean, like you know, they played in Nigeria and Ibrahim Chaibu was a FIFA section referee, and he turned out to be like the most crooked oh, ass on the planet. So yeah. I don't think. Um, <laughs> That's nothing as bad as a World Cup qualifier. That was just. Mm. It used to happen a lot with Maradona as well, didn't it? And um, I mean, there was the brilliant. I mean, with Maradona, there was so many stories about this. When they played, like, was it Haiti down south? And um, and like the second half, well, during the second half, like. You stayed down south, John. That's it, down south. Argentina. Yeah, where was it? It was in. Um, oh, I was like. Trey. Puerto Madero. I don't know if it was Puerto Madero. Puerto Madero. Puerto Madero. And um, yeah, loads of the, the subs basically kind of went up to Maradona during the, in in the second half to get photos taken. And oh, then when Maradona went to Switzerland, uh, oh to, sorry, to you're talking about when Maradona was manager. Right? Yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, I'm getting confused. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when um, he had to go and because of the Kilachupen Gate yeah. after the, the Uruguay press conference when he told everyone you know what they should go and do. <laughs> anyway, um, but he went to FIFA to explain himself, and um, and he ended up signing autographs. During his disciplinary hearing at FIFA <laughs> in Switzerland, so you know it's it's, uh, it's part and parcel of being Fantastic. a world legend. Can't win with it. Can't win without it. Um, to very briefly uh, go over those positions again: Argentina twenty, Ecuador seventeen, Colombia sixteen with a game in hand, and then we've got Venezuela, Uruguay, yeah. Chile, all on twelve points. Um, Bolivia, Peru, both on eight. Paraguay on seven, with seven matches still to go. So really, it's anybody's in terms of those. Um, the top six yeah. in terms of the top five out of the group of nine because it's going to be four automatic qualifiers and as normal fifth place gets the, the playoff even though Brazil yeah. obviously already have one of South America's the, against, spots. Um, the host spot is separate from the rest of the continent one, so of, so they don't. one of the Asian teams right like uh, Bahrain it was, is last time against the CONCACAF yeah. team no CONCACAF we're going to play um, CONCACAF play CAF I think CONCACAF play CAF or possibly Oceania and, and CONMEBOL play Asia right um yeah. Well, for a um, while it was Australia, wasn't it? But it's still going to be Australia now. Could, yeah. Australia and the Asian Absolutely. section. Um, but the thing interesting about that, I mean, I want, I want, I desperately want Venezuela to qualify because I really like kind of yeah. what, what they've done with Farias, which leaves, if we, if we said the top three are basically qualified Argentina, Ecuador, Colombia, it means one of Venezuela, Venezuela, Uruguay, and Chile won't even get a playoff place. So, you know, if Uruguay didn't qualify for a World Cup, it would be... Uh, well, especially this one, right? When oh, Brazil already yeah, out of the equation. Lots of fun. No, no, no. But also, but also, not, only, supposedly. Not, only yeah, with, exactly. not only with Brazil out of the equation, but also with the World Cup being in Brazil, it would be... Well, for Uruguay, Copa America champions, World Cup being in a country that you have a border with. Yeah, yeah, yeah they go to the Confederations Cup yeah. and to not be in the World yeah. Cup would be... Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. And the other thing but, is just, right, to bit, one, just to get a bit jumpy as well, because I read a fantastic stat the other day, which on looking back I thought, I thought actually that's, that's right, and it hadn't occurred to me before. Uruguay have won titles in both Argentina and in Brazil, and neither Brazil nor Argentina have ever won a title in Uruguay. 
because every Copa America and World Cup, obviously there's only been one, but there's been hosted in Uruguay, has been won by Uruguay. Um, so it's uh, it, it would be interesting, I'd say. And, and I think if uh, if Uruguay say were to were to qualify for the World Cup and then were to get out of the group stages for various historical reasons, the Brazilian press might start getting entertaining. <laughs> if any of us are going to be there, particularly. Um, and yeah, it would be a shame uh, in many ways if, if they weren't able to qualify. But we'll t- maybe discuss that a bit later because, as I say, one of the questions involves Uruguay and what they've got to do between now and March. Um, we're going to refill our glasses now. We'll play some music, and then we will come back and just talk about very briefly about a couple of the uh, sort of developments in the local league domestic football scene that have happened while we've uh, been on this international hiatus. And then we'll get on to your questions. So don't go anywhere. To recap uh, what's happened in Argentine football whilst we've been away in, in Argentine domestic football, um, the main story I think is one that we kind of discussed was going to happen last week, but it wasn't completely confirmed. Uh, Juan Antonio Pizzi, the former Barcelona and Spain striker, has been named San Lorenzo manager. Um, he was a former Spain striker, even though he's actually Argentine. He was naturalised Spanish. Uh, what do people have to say about this? I think we I talked remember. quite yeah, a bit yeah. about him on yeah last weekend. I remember. I think it was Joel was quite unimpressed last week. Was it by his? No, no, no. I, I just threw it out there that um, they did a good job at Central up until the business yeah. end of the season when they dropped out of the uh, direct promotion spots and didn't manage to um, continue their their form that they'd shown throughout the season in into the most important game, which was the the relegation or the promotion uh, playoff. I mean, the main thing here is it's a massive job. San Lorenzo, yeah. pretty difficult situation with the points averages. Um, there's all kinds of problems at the club. Not a great deal of cash, although maybe that's going to change with Tinelli now. Um, and yes, yeah, pretty a big job. But um, but then Senso was so central. So, but it's an interesting phenomenon as well. I know we talked about this a lot last season. I know this was one of uh, Aussie Dan's biggest pet peeves. You know. This cycle of managers that just go round and round and round and round. I'm not going to so no, I'm not gonna touch on that particularly, but now we have the case that in three of the five grandes, we've got young young managers, all with like a lot yeah. of, kind of yeah, yeah. not much experience, but a lot of, say, knowledge of the game, like hard workers. You know, you've got Zoeldi so in Racing, Pizzi now in San Lorenzo, and Almeida in River. Like, I think Jury's probably still out for Almeida. Even though he got promoted for, and also Zoldia, even though he's had a good run recently, but I think just about now, you know, opinions in favour of him in both Racing and River mm. for the next week at least. <laughs> so it's interesting to see, like, yeah, <laughs> and obviously Independiente went the other way by bringing back in. Uh, well, 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 you have got three of the big five have got these young, interesting <laughs> managers, and yeah. the other two have got like relics, you know, yeah. the ugliest man on the planet, and then the big old brute Diego. <laughs> No, no, yeah, exa- exactly. It's the thing like uh, Independiente went completely the other way around. Yeah. Independiente they tried it. I mean, they've tried like, Diaz, yeah. ten different managers yeah. in the last four weeks, haven't they? And <laughs> none, none of them have worked. You know, it's kind of you get to the point where you've got to appreciate there's something wrong with the club when you have yeah. a string of managers and no one can improve. Yeah. 
and even when they brought in players like Fadias who should score goals at his level regularly have you seen how many chances he's missed this season he is wasteful seriously seriously wasteful yeah. but I think you know overall the fact that you know some of Argentina's biggest clubs are clubs where there's more pressure maybe than any other teams in the whole country the fact that they're willing to take a gamble on these people that have maybe managed one or two clubs before it's, it's a good sign and you can see these guys you know they come in they work hard and they've got kind of personality it is, so. it is interesting actually that essentially they picked up a manager that failed in the division below have given him a job but then he was also he was also a very good manager in Chile with Católica very very well I think did he take a title yeah yeah, yeah. and he got to the quarterfinals of the Libertadores as well the way out to Vélez yeah he was very highly rated in Chile and he came so so close with Central and that's the difference you know for the sake of one point he would have succeeded in the Arbe Nacional in a very probably the most competitive campaign ever in the lower division yeah We've gone back through every single season of being asked in our football to bring you that statement. Uh, hand of oh, research knows, knows no bounds. Uh, um, I'm just wondering whether there's anything else to, to discuss before we get on to the questions. There's, there's Boca lost a friendly in Paraguay against Cerro Porteño, which was held, and it was their centenary, 150th. Cerro Porteño's centenary, yeah. 150th, 150th, and making one of the oldest clubs in the world. Actually. Yeah, so, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were founded after football. I'm also thinking if it's a centenary, then it would be the hundred. Yeah, I think. No, no, it's, yeah. it, it could be like 110. You know, it was, yeah, it it was a no, birthday of some sort. Centenary, I think. And Boca put out a strongest side, lost. Two. There was only two 0 down. I can't remember if they got one, but they got one back late. They got one back late, a bit like um, Chile last night. And um, yeah, they were, they were rubbish. Yeah, really I've bad. got another one as well. Go that on. Boca also played uh, friendly on Sunday, Atlanta. away to Atlanta, using the mainly uh, under twenty team and lost. That was a birthday. It was it was a hundred and eighth anniversary of Atlanta, yeah. and it's lost three one, I believe. Yeah. Or four one. If we're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but that game was interesting as well. Peru played Peru under twenty. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. But that game was interesting as well. Three one one, wasn't it? <laughs> please, please, so, sorry, please, please, sorry, don't worry. Yeah. yeah, carry on with your Sunday morning. But no, this was interesting. Yeah. between Atlanta. And <laughs> what was interesting about this game is that it marked the return to the terraces of um, Mara Martin. Ooh. After he got oh, shot, see that is interesting. Like, you see, I apologise for my cynicism. <laughs> uh, just, just uh, remind the listeners, or possibly explain to new listeners, who yeah. Mara Martinez. Mara Martinez is basically the, I wouldn't say undisputed leader, but the leader at least of um, La Doce, who is, who is a uh, Boca's Barra Brava, and he's been out of action since. Was it they played? Union. 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 Oh, you're right. Union. 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 Say a month ago, six weeks ago, yeah. around that, and he's been out of action since then because basically two fractions of the Barra met in the middle of um, middle of like the ruta, the the highway. Uh, they got down and shots were fired, and he was he was shot and pretty badly injured. And since then, it's all kind of changed in Boca because I know even though he's you know he's been convalescing and he's not been able to go to the stadium he wouldn't be able to enter he wouldn't have been able to enter pretty much all of Boca's games since then because they've really uh, cracked down on what they call the derecho de admisión which is basically the the opposite of what it suggests it's the right to not be admitted (laughs) 
and so like yeah and along with I think maybe 40 or 50 other Boca Barres like he's on this list but since this wasn't a friendly this was kind of his return to the stands and he was there I think along with another like 60 people who turned up to the the Atlanta away end uh, while we're on Boca obviously the Super Classico is kind of around the corner and that's kind of already yeah, get, getting going um, beyond whether or not Trezor is going to play or not and it's kind of like a, a minute by minute story which yeah. is just a non-story but um and there are lots of rumours that Bianchi's taking over Boca in January. He's back. The return of the Bianchi, Bianchi boys, John. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's it's right. Well-established uh, group. <coughs> everyone's, everyone's kind of all the journalists like, oh, I said this last week. I've been saying it for four years. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Come on. Um, but no, it seems like Bianchi's going to... Obviously, if Alcione's contract is up, he's not going to get sacked, but it's... It, it's not going to be renewed. It's, yeah, it's not going to be renewed. He'll be allowed to leave. They're already off the in, title race, really, aren't they? And, yeah, can't see him win the title. No. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens, because obviously Bianchi is... I mean, I don't know if he's the most successful coach still working in, in Argentine football, but, but must probably. Be, must be. With all the stuff he did with Vélez as well, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, of course he did. What was his last job? Anyone know? It was Boca manager. Yeah. Oh, back right. in 2010, and then Basile, he left. Yeah. Yeah. Bianchi also. I've, I've been told. Uh, I, I was introduced to Argentine football, as, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, by an ex girlfriend who was Argentine, and her mother told me that in the 70s, she lived. Uh, her mum's a massive Boca fan as well, so she had no reason to lie to me about this. Um, she lived sort of four or five doors down from Bianchi, and. In the seventies, when he was a sort of young man about town, he was a River Plate fan. Apparently. Oh yeah, definitely, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of not mentioned no. nowadays. Let's say since he became a legend, the official history. Um, <coughs> but an interesting one, much like I suppose Daniel Passarella being a Boca fan. Although that's there you have it. I think, as far as I'm aware, a bit more debatable. But no, no, not at all. No, no, no. It's it's true that he was as a kid. He was, but yeah. I, mean, I mean, he went on to win now, everything yeah. with, with yeah. the player. He lifted the World Cup as yeah. captain. So he probably has a little bit of a fetish somewhere. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, you wouldn't ridiculous. tell from his presence, but it must be some sort <laughs> of shot. But what other news there is? is um, I don't think there's much more news, but we do have a lot of questions. So let's go for some questions. Shall we? Yeah. Shall we move on to questions? The first one, and I'm going to read this one first and apologise to Ralph Brown, who sent it into me by email because he actually <coughs> sent it two weeks ago, and I completely forgot to read it. Just after you've been bugging people not, to send in questions in by email. Yes. Well, he sent it in, funnily enough, on the day that we recorded that podcast. Um, well, so before I'd asked him to he was that you know, excited yeah. about his recording and yeah and I then maybe he's here listening live, but. Um, but he asks um, <laughs> after complimenting the pod and calling us excellent thank you very much this is said, what we don't get on Twitter questions he, he hopes that myself and, and Joel and Dan and I assume <laughs> you as well but you weren't here when he, he wrote this um, continue to prosper in journalism I wasn't aware we were prospering <laughs> yeah. Yeah. let us know when it starts <laughs> <laughs> um, but he then says um he wanted to ask us why it is that Argentine clubs go through coaches at such a rate of knots, which is why I uh, suggest you stop a minute ago. He says, is it media or fan expectation pressure, unstable ownership of the clubs, traditional working of the clubs? Um, whilst the managerial merry-go-round TM seems to be creeping into British football more, in certain areas of continental Europe and in South America it's fairly norm, it seems like the norm. Um, or is it because the British press and public mix up the idea with the head coach with the all-encompassing manager figure that clubs work with in England? Um, I think it's a lot to do with that. I think a head coach is a lot more disposable than what you call a manager. They have, yeah. you know, their responsibility is essentially to to pick the, you know, simplifying obviously because 
it's a very hard job and they do a lot but their job essentially is to manage what happens on the pitch and they don't get involved in transfers it's not you know essentially they'll get given the players they're given every year by the directors and that makes a difference as well you know every time a couple of games goes wrong it's just a case of taking one guy out with his formation and bringing in someone else who can take the same players and do a little something a little bit different so it kind of ties in as well though with what you were mentioning earlier and what as we said is kind of Australian Dunn's pet peeve about how these clubs just continue to go for the same names yeah. just over and over again so guys end up leaving one job or getting sacked from one job or whatever and knowing that they're going to be employed gainfully again in six months time I don't think it's ever been any different in Argentina you can't point to an, er- an era where no, no. where coaches stayed for ten years in the same job it didn't happen like you look at Jose um, Pisuti who's like yeah. Racing's most famous like most successful coach who brought them you know made them world champions like he returned you know three times after after that in 67 and you know lasted about six months 12 months they were I mean, it's, it's no, just come, the players just, uh, the coaches just come and go. Yeah, I think, long, I think long, the attitude is kind of summed up by the fact that variously you'll get managers saying Ricardo Garreca is the most recent one that I've seen, described as the Argentine Alex Ferguson. Well, no, that's you know, Eddie Romero. That's all 25 <laughs> years yeah, in he charge. Is the, but the, the longest serving coach in, in top flight, anyway, um, because there is one in the lower leagues who's been around for, for decades. Mm. So Junto's been um, at Amarante for quite a while as well, like 2005, yeah. 2004, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, Romero's been at All Boys since 2007. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you're right, they, they, bring, out, they bring out this uh, Ferguson of, yeah. of Argentina. Yeah. They're still tongue cheek, they know that um, coach is never going to last yeah. that long here. You know. oh, I would, yeah, I would, I would just say, though, that, I mean, Brendan Rodgers hasn't had the easiest of times at Liverpool when you know he didn't win the first three games, four games. Um, you know, it's it is a different culture. There is the short seasons yeah. obviously make a difference, mm. but I would still say that at big clubs, um, Wenger, you know, for what brilliant manager he is, and them, Arsenal haven't won anything in six years, and fans, you know, I know a lot of fans, Arsenal fans, who want him out. Despite everything yeah. he's done yeah. in the club, so the short seasons in Argentina and also the long relegation table, which has an effect as well. I mean, if it weren't for for that, Caruso Lombardi, for instance, might still be in charge of San Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Plus, of course, it probably makes a difference having directors and presidents who are elected. You know, yeah. the Arsenal board aren't elected, so if they keep an unpopular, well, I'm not saying Wenger is anyway unpopular, but someone who hasn't brought success for a few years, they could find themselves out in the rear mm. if. They don't make the changes. No, I'd, I'd, yeah. There's something you yeah. know that pressure coming from the boardroom level as well. I think you can't underestimate the the short tournaments does kind of make the short termism much more of a, of a rampant problem because you got you know suddenly you lose three games in a row and you're out of the title race and you're rocking down the table. And then again, it's no different in Brazil. Brazil, if anything, is worse. I've seen. Yeah, Brazil, but Brazil like, go like, after so ridiculous, haven't they? They're like eighteen coaches in like the last. That's with Big Phil, like Billy yeah. Bowles, four games. I've yeah. seen coaches fired in Brazil after four or five games. I think the difference in the role as well. I mean, I think Brazil using more like kind of similar the DT kind of head coach mm. sort of system. In England, you have all this power. Like you say about Brendan Rodgers, he lost his first few games, or whatever. He was given kind of free reign to kind of reshape the club like bring in new nutritionists kind of whole new coaching yeah. stuff etc etc Wenger did exactly Wenger remodelled yeah. the entire club yeah. um, and that's why these managers get stuck with because it's kind of uh, they have a, a huge it's almost like more like a, they're kind of more like a dictator like Mourinho mm. always demands that but he's always and that's why Jorge Valdano got chucked out of Real Madrid because you want to be the dictator whereas in Argentina Brazil it's more like an elected prime minister underneath the president sort of mm-hmm. that sort of system 
if you're going to use some sort of weird it's politics analogy. San Lorenzo at the moment, Tinelli yeah. and Laments. And, and the problem that Dan was pointing out about um, presidents and stuff is interesting because it's like you get when, um, you know, with Real Madrid and Barca, when a new president's going to try and get elected, they make all these promises. So if they dis- detected some sort of unhappiness with the current manager, they'll talk to another manager and say, right, if I get elected, will you take over? Yeah. And then they can say, you know, oh, if I get elected, I'll bring in this new manager, bring in these new signings. Which obviously you don't get in England, really. I mean, yeah. mm. that, and that's probably the, they're the three key differences, aren't they? Absolutely. It is, though, uh, from my point of view, just, just round off very quickly, but it is a major problem yeah. for, for clubs. Oh, yeah. It's a major problem which is then trickling down, and it's one of the reasons that there isn't planification, youth teams, I mean, the youth debate about the, how the youth team is set up in Argentina is a big one, um, you know, there's a lot of worry about, you know, the players aren't coming through, about the under-20s not being what they used to be and, and what have you, and it's part of, of this exact problem, which is short-termism, as you said, you know, revolving, uh, change, changing managers so quickly, it's part of, it's one problem, but I think that, that then sort of trickles down, as I said, to create a, a number of others. For sure. Hopefully, Ralph, that's answered your question. Um, onward now because we've got plenty to get through. Uh, Matthias Silverstein um, asks: uh, With several months until March, when Argentina's next matches, is Sabella going to make changes to the current squad? He then adds: Please say yes because I don't want to say it anymore. Um, is Sabella going to make changes to the current squad? I've, I've already kind of suggested that I think he might do because, as I was saying, one month isn't enough time to no, I'm not make, make change. <laughs> so, no, no, no. But I mean, joking aside about the saucer issue, um, he'll be in the squad in March. He'll be in. He'll be in. He will be. And yeah. even if he is, or even if he isn't, it's neither here nor there. The changes need to be in defence, in the, the staff, mm. playing staff, in, in defence. That's the only issue here. Keeper's fine. Midfield's fine. Yeah. Banega may come in if he's back. And, but yeah, exactly, the fullback. So. Yeah, I think Saka's worth the, worth and, the, and of, the uh, of a comeback. Saka, <laughs> Yeah. Gina. Well, well, maybe, but not, yeah. not as number one. I think after Romero's performance in Chile was. Yeah, very, very good. number one or he's, he's nowhere, you know? Time to put Chino on the bench. But um, he's a big reader of Che Guevara, you know, Chino. Yeah, he's got that. He's got that look about him. A little revolutionary. But um, I don't know. Do you guys reckon they'll, they'll bring in new new fullbacks? I can maybe see. I'd be surprised. Campagnaro's no, Peruzzi will probably still be in the squad. Well, I'd, I'd like to see Peruzzi in the squad. Sanchez Mino, yeah. maybe given the chance. Do you think it's going to happen? He's there or thereabouts. Well, I think Sanchez yeah, Mino is. I don't know how good he is defensively, but I think he's a, a very good player. I must say, where I've seen him he's best for Boca is playing like. Almost in the Di Maria role. Yeah, less of a diamond. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. yeah I agree. I agree. I, I do agree. That's but probably the best position. Which he's needed in in left back. As I think we were saying a few weeks ago. You won't get close to the team. I was talking to Tom Lebocca about this. I was talking to the press officer. And I said, oh, does, does he like playing? You know, cause obviously the press officer known very well. And I said, oh, does, does he like playing? Left back, he's like, oh, I don't really know. It's like, just tell him he should. Like, yeah. like really, play left he's back got every single day. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Argentine national team for the next 10 years, he's got a place. Pop yeah. Colazzo yeah. ahead of him. Like, you know, Colazzo was a, a really exciting player. I'll tell you what, he's, he's quite a prospect as well. Yeah. Yeah, How old is Colazzo? 22, 21. Oh, no, he may, he may be a bit old, you know, because quite a few of the Bocca, like, San Gimignano's 22. Like, he's not, yeah, he's he's not, not that he's young. Not that yeah, yeah. Must be old. Yeah. I'm going to guess 18, 19. It's kind of about to come in just as we finished answering that question. Yeah. Yeah. Is she no. going to be here for a long or 
Matthias also very quickly asks, what was the blue thing inside of Campanero's mouth last night? Um, I joked on Twitter that he was doing a Ryan Lochte thingy yeah, with an Argentine flag. Off Lance Armstrong, yeah. I think right. I joked at you, in fact, didn't I, Joel? You did, you yeah. did. Because I asked the same question on Twitter. It's, it's gumshield, wasn't it? Yeah. Which I just, which I kind of thought it was, but I couldn't really believe that it was, because how many but footballers wear gum shields? Maybe against Uruguay, it made a bit more sense, uh, or Paraguay, but... Yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah. In Italy, I've seen it. Do, do you go for one? Uh, no one gets that high. Yeah, no one gets that that's high. true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 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 it's a serious effort. Not for, like, low-flying birds flying south for the winter, like... Crossbar, occasionally. Crossbar, yeah. Yeah. Trivia question. Which Argentine striker was sent off in an international game this weekend? Ooh, this weekend, Friday or Tuesday? Tuesday. Which, which, which definition of weekend are we using? This double match day. It oh yeah, no. it wouldn't be the San Marino guy, would it? It wouldn't it, be. No. It wouldn't be. But it's wouldn't close. Be You're not far away. It's close. 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 Daniel Valde, yeah. There we go. Got sent off for um, violent conduct, really. Uh-huh. Uh, although he just didn't touch the guy. I mean, it, it was supposedly an elbow. But um, I just saw that and I thought, you know. He's, he still wouldn't get him any of the Argentina side, so he's made the right no. decision in but, choosing it. Well, Savella said that he was interested in him, wasn't he? Like before, just before his value basically then went and decided to play for for Italy. Yeah. And I saw on TV someone today said, "Oh, you know, is, uh, is Osvaldo better than Barcos?" Bit of a naughty question. I know really. Osvaldo had a Barcos for sure. Oh, of course, yeah, definitely. No but. You know, but, it's the same thing. Melito, Lisandro Lopez, the striker. Yeah. These are all great. European yeah. performers who haven't got got the call ups and actually haven't played that well when they have. So and what it reminded me of, which I meant to mention, I hope Seba's not listening this week. Joel, I'm I'm making that comment later. later. Who's Seba? Minito and Sandro Lopez. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <we're both laughs> very very shaky. Fakuna Roncaglia playing seriously well for Fiorentina. Ah, Roncaglia. Right, yeah. right back as uh, Boca smashed the league, went to Libertadores final. Mm. You know, even in that team, we weren't going to say he was like outstanding, but he's a decent right back. The team needs a right back. Mm. He's saying he might play for it. Yeah, not, I saw that. Surely yeah. the team needs a left back more. Though. I mean, Sabaleta normally is going to be playing. But right you can back. Sh- a backup. I think right Sabaleta is probably the best left back that the country has. So you shove him across and put wrong <laughs> right back. Even after Tuesday night, Rocco is poor. I mean, mm, yeah. I don't think Rocco's poor. Rocco's slow. That's the problem he's got. More than I try, I try. Rojo has, has, has the same Rojo, issue, sorry, right? Yeah, has the same issue as, as Haynes here, which is that his natural position is left side of his back three, mm-hmm. and so yeah, the pace is an issue. But I mean, I know you're obviously quite critical, and I think a lot of people are of, of Rojo, and, and in certain instances, I think it's fair enough. Mm. But I think he's that bad. I think he's, he's an all. No, I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. I'm wondering now how we might get on to this option. after the question about what well, Campanero's mouth goes. No, that was just that was me being an idiot. Sorry, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, Chris Taylor, who I know via the, the WhatsApp that comes message board, asks Juan Meron. Um, I'm going to pick him up straight away because I know, happen to know he's a Manchester well actually he's a, an FC United fan but an ex-Manchester United fan um, so he's probably talking about Seba Veron Juan Veron is Seba's dad Chris um, he says but <laughs> the question is the question is how cool is he? Juan Sebastián Veron fairly have you seen that reality show extreme the answer's no, extreme I mean, you've met him Joel so you can well it's funny about the, what you say about the Juan because I actually said to him <laughs> the first time I stopped him I was trying to get a word with him and I said oh excuse me uh, Juan and he kind of looked at me I was like, oh damn! <laughs> 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 I haven't got on the best best of with him. Um, he's uh, he's yeah, he's great. He's great. He's uh, I did another interview a bit later, just ahead of the 
uh, Club World Championship when Estudiantes went mm. to play Barcelona in, in the final there um, and he just kind of he wasn't in the best of moves he just kind of growled at me throughout the question <laughs> but, um, but he's, he's great value he's, he's, he's the kind of guy who um, he doesn't just kind of just give you an answer that he's given everyone else 15 times already and this is the thing when yeah, I felt like a, quite intimidated to be honest the way he just like, <coughs> stares at you like, listening to the question I, I was stumbling with my Spanish a little bit and um but he was, he was listening to it and he wouldn't kind of say, yeah, I know what you're trying to ask me and I'll, I'll just say this or whatever just so we get it over and done with. He listens to you out and, um, and obviously he's, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's a god yeah. in La Plata. And yeah. he's there's a, the reason that I make the distinction, by the way, between Juan and Seba, apart from Joel's anecdote, which I had heard before, which is, which is what came into my head when I read it, um, is that there's a fantastic Argentine film, which I think most of our listeners, being in, interested in Argentine things, as Alan Partridge might say, um, <laughs> will probably have seen. But if you haven't, then do look it up and try and get hold of it. It's called Nine Queens. And there's a great line from Ricardo Darín, who is the Argentine actor, the only one that exists um, in that way. He meets uh, this guy, and the guy says, uh, I- I'm Juan. And Darin sort of looks at him and says, Right, yeah, but what do you like to be called, really? And the guy looks very bashful and says, Sebastian. And Darin says, Yeah, guys called Juan always want to be called something else. <laughs> Which is, I find generally speaking, true in, in Argentine. I know so many Juan Sebastian, Juan uh, Manuel. Juan Verona. Well, yes, no, absolutely. Juan, Juan Ramon, they're on the, the further, uh, obviously an exception to the rule, but uh, I, I don't know too many people who are happy to be called Juan. <laughs> Keep an eye on it. It's just something I caught literally on two minutes of, and it was some sort of like reality show where they were driving around like, in a car with him and his own. David Veron, yeah. David yeah. Veron, yeah. yeah. It was like, like, like I don't know, like the Kardashians or like, it was like that Hulk Hogan program where he's, they're just following around. That's what it felt like. like he was, like, he was less, like the big good looking Yeah, he was like, like the Don, like the big boss of the family and they're just kind of following around. He's like, yeah, you know, just in my car, struggling around. <laughs> it was just weird. I caught a really small section of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was uh, yeah, it's a bit of a strange set. But but it's not quite, uh, they haven't made a, they're not doing the Verons, are they? Oh, unfortunately not. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, That's I'm a real shame. Push us on now because oh. the next question is one that Joel is going to really enjoy getting his teeth stuck into. It's a shame that, that Seba's not here to get stuck into this one as well. Paul Sarah's asks very uh, simply. I know what so we, already, we, we already we know the name. We know what he's going to ask. Yeah, we already know the name. City fan. He asks Tevez. Why no recall for Argentina? Because he's a cop. I'm just going to throw it out. <laughs> well, I just I'd throw it out to you guys first. Well, one thing I'll say before everybody else them. jumps on this is merely that um, I've almost said it while we were discussing Argentina's attack earlier on uh, the calls for Pastore to get called up and, and so on have kind of become increasingly muted with the former Argentina's attacks been showing recently he'd be a good addition to the bench as we mentioned in terms of being able to change the game but there's really not an awful lot wrong with the Argentine attack as it stands no not the attack no. when Sergio Aguero is your second most important attacking player third you don't need to have yes a, a lot of people would argue third Higuain and Messi uh, well, are the top scorers in the tournament yeah you're right you're right. Um, yeah, whereas there's window dressing. Yeah. <laughs> just a spare. Really. Thing, it's just a spare, yeah. really. He's Di Maria spare. is just there. He's a spare, yeah. so what's Tevez, you know? Yeah. Well, he's the... The truth is, in current form for the attack, he, uh, Tevez doesn't get close to his team. The thing is, that the reason he's asking it is obviously that Tevez has, has started the season very well for Man City. We, we've said so many times on hand of Bob, more times than I think I can count, that Tevez effectively hasn't put in a good performance for Argentina since the 2006 World Cup, almost. I mean, Yeah, yeah, I think there, there is an issue here with Tevez that you know we, we've touched on and upon, and obviously when we were not recording, uh, we, we spoke about it a little bit. Um, 
Tevez always struggled to fit into to the to find his position, his natural position uh, for Argentina, and there was always been a question about his performance levels. And then, as a result of that, Tevez regularly moaned and complained, and mm. and was was just basically saying. I mean, I remember very clearly a game against the game against Spain at the Monumental when they won like four one. Was it? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. The um, in in the mix zone afterwards, Tevez was saying, you know what? I don't really know if I could. It, like, I'm translating like, directly. I don't know if I can be asked with this anymore, you know, because I come and here and I get played out of position. This and, is one of the things like, that's well, amazing because mm. it's, it's something that Sever has a particular being in his bonnet about. But Tevez has managed to get this reputation, both among English fans, who obviously see him in the Premier League when it feels like it, week in, week out, and among Argentine fans for being prepared to die for the shirt, which just isn't true. Yeah, and he's said so many times in public that he doesn't give a shit about the Argentine national team, and yet everybody in the world is convinced that he would do anything to play for them. Well, this is it. And in England, if you miss a penalty in a major tournament, as as Chris Waddle, yeah. David Beckham, other players have found out, Southgate, Kelly, Southgate, Kelly, Southgate, Kelly, Southgate no, are they What I mean is that yeah. culturally, though, in England, if you miss a penalty in a major tournament, mm. it is. For six months, you're like, it's hell. Tevez didn't really have that because missing the penalty against Uruguay in the Copa America wasn't really his biggest crime. What, what it is, is that... In terms of crimes, but, you know... He, uh, <laughs> it's just that he... Yeah, he's he's murder, 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 actual yeah. crime. He's stopped the He's just, you know, he's, he's, yeah, just, he he's never been happy with, with, his, with the set-up, when he comes over, he doesn't feel wanted. He's, and, you know, I really rate him. I think he's a great footballer. But, again, you know, in City, I'm delighted to see him doing well. And it's good for City and it's, you know, all the rest of it. But, I mean, he was on strike for, what, six months, was it, that he didn't mm-hmm. play? I mean... On holiday, Joel. I mean, well, yeah, he sorry. was a golfing holiday, so pretty sweet. If you saw the, um, the front page of Ole the other day was kind of... It was in the Argentina camp ahead of the Chile game. And they basically were all... Um, it was making a point about how good, good they're all getting on. Basically, they all uh, went to this like comedy thing and enjoyed it. Bad yeah. Masado, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and they all kind of got on. And I think the, the thing is, Sabella doesn't see the need to stink out the place with Tevez's attitude, <laughs> which is what it would do. <laughs> <That> is <laughs> true. His attitude stinks. Um, I don't know how I don't know how much other players like him. I mean, you get the impression that he's not going to be that popular a member of the dressing room. People don't really respect him. I mean, on that, I mean, I think he gets on. He gets on. right? Certainly, I'm wearing him and Aguero are good friends, I'm sure. Yeah. But like, um, he's, he's still, by all accounts, gets on with Wayne Rooney fairly well. I don't think that necessarily. He was, wasn't he a good friend? Yeah. good friends with Park and Evra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And from what I've heard, still, obviously, Park doesn't live in Manchester anymore, but Evra still is acting as his translator a lot of the time from what I hear so I don't think it's necessarily getting on with the other players well but it is certainly the attitude that he brings to the team well, it's with the media the right? and yeah. training and with the press and particularly when we look at this there's another player then who's completely opposite which is Ezekiel Levesi and he, he was always in Maradona squads he's, in, he's been regularly in other squads and the, and the thing is here that I don't think Levesi, I know he did very well obviously in, in Italy and, and I think he's doing pretty well in, is he injured at the moment in, in France I think he's I think, injured, I, I think that's why he's not in because he was in previous squads yeah. the point is that Levesi comes along he's apparently he's great band a really good fun in the you know with, with the with the squad but he doesn't make a fuss if he's not in if he doesn't play mm. if he doesn't play a single minute and similarly for, for, for two matches I've never seen him play anyway so well yeah but that's true it doesn't represent he's younger than the rest of and, and can't remember the 2006 World Cup so him and Cavani I've never seen play well for their country I think Cavani I've I must have seen him play for Uruguay. Did you not like see the 2011 Copa America final? I mean, he was. Oh yeah, come on! But that was that was yeah, everyone. I mean, say, not, not that was everyone. But I mean, I know he gets played on the wing and stuff like yeah. that. But I mean, 
and for a player who's done so well in Italy it begs belief that he's always so poor I mean, he was dropped for the game on Tuesday wasn't he yeah. they brought so him on after 35 minutes because they were so that desperate out and it didn't make a difference yeah, it worked out uh, but yeah so that's what I say right, is City should be pleased because he's not going to get injured in such a duty and he's not going to just not come back he's not going to catch you know, he's not going to say Mourinho calls the FIFA virus which well, has struck down so many around well it's why they've called it the FIFA virus for, for ages but, but yeah Mourinho has done particularly badly hasn't he at uh, this one yeah yeah, hilarious me um, sorry I didn't say that out loud I wasn't thinking um, Charles Reynolds asks and we've kind of covered this one already but he's asking us to commit ourselves now um, what would be your preferred back four slash defence if we don't want to play a back four for Argentina or Brazil 2014 <laughs> um, I'm going to jump right in and say Romero in goal Fernandes Garay at centre back as we've already established I think all of us so the question is the two full backs or are we going to play with Mascherano and two wing backs or what gentlemen throw it open Sabaleta right back up guns Possibly Peruzzi if he matures enough. I think given the situation, there's a, and I know he doesn't like it, but actually that's not true. Sabella has played a back three. As to the answer, yeah. that's there's a huge. I think here we've got to start seriously thinking about playing back three. Maybe putting Machadano with Garay and, and Fernandez. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe someone else. But having Machadano just ahead to yeah, add, a bit more, add a bit of protection. The wing backs are going to be Di Maria and Sabaleta. Mm. He says with a smile on his face, I've not got my left to sign again this week. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, obviously Di Maria on, on the left and on the right. I don't know, I haven't really thought this soon. For me, <laughs> I can tell. I've, I've got two options. I'd say you've got, I think the system at the moment is working so well, it'd be nuts to change it in many ways. Yeah. So you keep that back four. I think Ron Cagli is worth a go right back. Um, because he is playing so well and he's made a step up if only to stop Italy calling him up right that as well I mean there is a point to that but uh, also because he is a defensive fullback we don't necessarily need to see Argentina with raiding fullback I mean they've got more than enough in attack sometimes he's got to have one on one side though and if you've got Rob of course of course but um, you know you wouldn't want him on the left because of Di Maria often so little protection Um, so I don't know I think Ron Cagli is worth a go we don't know how Peruzzi and Sanchez Mino will develop and the worry is with Sanchez Mino is that he's not a naturally defensive player perhaps he's better going forward so if Sanchez Mino were to come in that's when I think he'd work with back three because he could play the wing back so could Sanchez Mino be the next Juan Pablo Sorin yeah. i.e. full back who frequently gets caught offside yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is what I love Sorin for when he was one of my favourite players he's a brilliant player yeah he's actually yeah, really he, he just needs to grow the really Awful status quo style hair. Yeah, um, I've Argentina's the worst hair in the world. It's a country. <laughs> no, but this is the thing because for me, I, I think we discussed this in fact with uh, with Jonathan Wilson last time he was on the pod. Who, funnily enough, we're hoping to get on in, in a week really? or two. Um, but that, that, that's Serene was the, the last real bastion of dreadful hair in the Argentine national side. I, I, I'm Demichelis. Demichelis. But I'm partly convinced of this that, that might be Romero. Romero, not seen him. <laughs> no, but Romero's come yeah, on. But Romero's a goalkeeper. And goalkeeper. He had them on Friday. Did he? Yeah, on Friday, yeah. The Romero's a goalkeeper, and goalkeepers, as somebody great once wrote, are different. And in terms of outfield players, I'm convinced that, that might be partly behind Sabella's thinking in calling up Hernan Barcos, because he's got, I mean, not dreadful hair, but certainly it's basically a pirate linked thing. to bad. That's a Conve- conventional ponytail hair. Yeah. Mm. But <laughs> shouldn't be seen on a grown man. Yeah, is, is think about Palacio. Uh, Palacio made an appearance the other day. Yeah, Palacio's. <laughs> yeah. No, Pal- Palacio, yeah, <laughs> but he's, he's not near the squad. Um, Michael, Neal, Michael Neal asks, uh, Sorry, Claudio, go on. what's your back for? 
My bad for... No, I'd, no, I'd, no, I'd, no. I'd agree with Ed. I'd go for Rogalia and Sanchez Mina. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think Zabalet obviously will be there and thereabouts. I'm going to play both sides. Can play? No. Huh? If he's not there now, he's not going to be there. He always misses World Cup, though, doesn't he? So That's true. He probably gets just does before. still look like a 17 year old, so. Still in good shape. That's what we've already established. He's the exception to the bad hair very much so. so yeah, he's, he's the, uh, Short the only the Lego herd um, Argentine <laughs> football. Uh, Mike O'Neill asks, Claudio Jacob has made a very good start to life in England. Are there any other under-the-radar Argentine players who could do the same? Yeah, there are loads, but we... There's uh, absolutely, right. absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely yeah. tons, but we won't know until they move yeah. to England yeah. and start well, doing well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an unknown yeah. yeah. None of us would have, I think, predicted Jacob to... OK, we knew he was not a mug, but we wouldn't have predicted him no. to start as well as he has. No. And that's, that's kind of... The reason he's we could throw you 50 names now and maybe one would be right but yeah oh, no, 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 the point here is that it's, it's a very difficult transition and Diego Forlan as everyone knows took 8 months to score at Man United and, and everyone remembers him in, 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 in England as a complete failure he went straight to Villarreal and was Europe's top scorer so uh, you know he's you know, obviously without yeah. doubt a, a brilliant world class striker um, Chakob was good but I wouldn't say he didn't stand head and shoulders no. above the, above the rest here it's in Argentina. He's a decent number five. But nothing very good. So nothing more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's very difficult to, to judge how how these all all pan out. Totally. Um, total soccer. Total soccer show. Uh, says to us it's not really a question he's just complimenting us he says oh. still my favourite name for a podcast ever well done you uh, thank you very much we have to give the credit there to Australian Dan now sadly departed um, he was the <laughs> one alive, alive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, still not on the not on the continent but alive <laughs> no longer with us he's dead to us <laughs> is what I mean um, yeah both him and me probably enough thought of it entirely <laughs> independently of one another but he was the one who was actually brave enough to suggest it so he gets the credit for that one um, so you thought it up but <laughs> didn't say anything about it okay speaking right yeah, we of hair, you. sorry speaking of hair sure. and, and with Aussie Dan you must you must all follow Lepra Granata and and find the photo that he tweeted the other day to of, of Dan it's it's, it's Astonishing. I'm intrigued. I, I follow him via the Hunter Pod account and uh, well, must, sorry, Hunter Pod follows him. The, the ether that is Hunter Pod, indeed, uh, but has not seen it. I'm it's a picture of us in there. Speaking about haircuts, I'll be looking this up. I'll, I'll leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. I'm um, intrigued. I'm absolutely intrigued. Wes Thompson asks realistically, um, is Argentina as a country, not as a national team, to Buenos Aires centralised to host the World Cup on its own? No, no, not at all. I don't think so. The, 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 the talk at the moment, in as much as there is any talk, is of Argentina and Uruguay potentially joint hosting in 2030. I think Argentina could do it on its own if necessary. You've got uh, Cordoba, Rosario, Mendoza, um, certainly. You're another one city with two in? Or is it two cities with two in? Well, look, in 2022 it's in Quatta. Guitar. Yeah. So, Quata. Quata. Sorry, sorry. Quata. sorry, sorry, sorry. One of my best friends was born there. It's Quata. Oh, oh it's that one. Speaks Arabic and has told me this. Um, but, but that fact, basically, I mean, yeah, I know that that's the FIFA regulation where they say no, you've got to have excessive season with with such such a capacity or whatever. But the fact that they've given it to to that small nation in the Middle East who we can't agree on the pronunciation <laughs> of uh, just calls bullshit and all of that. Surely, well, Argentina can. If yeah, you're right. FIFA are in bullshit. Shocker. Argentina. <laughs> so, but you're right. But the whole well, thing here, though, is it's neither here nor there. What Argentina? The point is that the next one in South America is going to be a Uruguay. Yeah. It's going to be Uruguay because of the, the centenary mm-hmm. of the first World Cup. Yeah. And Argentina are only on board because Uruguay can't do it. Can't do it. No. And 
But but it's totally happening. Uruguay are doing the under twenty. I, I can't remember when it is, but soon, and that's kind of mm. always the first step to them doing a full World Cup. And the next uh, under twenty will be twenty fifteen, won't it? I think. Is it every four years? It's every two years. Every two years, but yeah, Uruguay got the twenty fifteen one. Right. Right. Good. If you had to have eight eight cities, it would be you know Buenos Aires with two, uh, Montevideo with Centenario, um, you know. Probably another Cordova, city. Yeah. Another one. Mendoza, Cordova. Hopefully, I mean, they might do like a what Argentina did when they built Mar del Plata and just put one in Punta del Este for everyone to go to the beach and stuff, which would be quite nice. Could work. But um, <laughs> Rosario. You'd have that. You'd have that. San Juan, which is lovely. Yeah, San Juan has done with the with the chapel. That was a raving success. They'll probably, you know, they're just trying to. They always trying to please people to try and get a boat back in. They'll probably stick one in like Puerto Madryn or something like that. Yeah, Chile. There's no one's lives there. Ushuaia. Just such idiots. Took a man. Salta would be nice. But the answer is sure. The answer is if, if you're taking FIFA's kind of guidelines by the very letter, then anywhere yes. can host a World Cup. Um, yeah. But if you're taking FIFA's most recent uh, demonstration of how, how seriously they themselves take the guideline, then the answer is very much no. It's not to Buenos Aires centralised. Joseph Sexton, next question up, asks, <coughs> who has had the most? <laughs> I misread this at first. I thought he said irritating, but he actually says interesting youth set up in Argentine club football in the last five years or so in these separate or together if one club fits areas for sale exports and building for their first team I'm going to say Vélez Sarsfield oh, building for the first time Vélez, first team Vélez I'd say selling selling outside maybe River River make better money I mean even the players that aren't good they still yeah. sell for that doesn't necessarily they always reflect on the players it reflects on River the name yeah. Yeah. That, that reflects on River's massive marketing yeah. as well. yeah. 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 that only goes so far back I mean River let's not forget sold Falcao for 4.5 million dollars second time in at least in two or three weeks you've mentioned this Joel well, exactly. well we've been on international and, and, and this is and you look, look at Falcao time. is playing now yeah, and, and the second time in two episodes as well it was roughly about the right fee I mean I need to know no it wasn't I mean, know what you're saying, but I would argue also that maybe his, his form now is proving mm. that precisely they were selling a guy with enormous potential. I mean, I know he, and, he had injuries. Okay, he didn't score for River as many as he's scoring for Atletico now, or as he scored for Porto when he was with them. But he was still, considering how poor River were for most of his stay with them, he was scoring a lot of goals. Of course, he wasn't there in a, in a great team, was he? No. Um, we've got to say Boca because uh, oh, Boca has given uh, about 14 debuts uh, since since he's been coach in just the last no. two years. Sanchez Mino, Colasso, Colasso I think um, might have played for Boca. I think Colasso right, played before. Benavides, Benavides, Paredes. They're they're four. Oh, the other day, not Herbes, but the wall at the Boca yeah. Museum where it's got all the players. Yeah, exactly. So there were in the last. I think I counted since 2010. There've been about. 18 debut yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so and they, they sell well I mean well I mean oh, yeah. the thing is Rob Cagna didn't sell for much didn't sell for much well I'd say with good reason um, <laughs> I mean the thing is the Boca have the, have the example of selling <coughs> Gago and Vanega for huge money <coughs> and that just doesn't exist anymore really Aguero um, I mean, but Aguero was uh, but Aguero was yeah, but Aguero, Aguero, yeah. Aguero debuted for Independiente at 15 yeah. 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 Lamella went for a lot of money Lamella went for 16-ish yeah, yeah. In, in terms a little, of a little bit less well Euros a little bit less yeah, but, yeah. but yeah in terms of 
Alexander Aguero when he was a kid. If any listeners have not seen them yet, I recommend you try and check out. Just just go on YouTube and Google Sergio Aguero Independiente and look at some of the goals that he was scoring when he was 15, 16. Because it is like watching a man playing in a kids' league, but it's actually a kid playing, playing a, a men's league. It's phenomenal. Um, it's, it's astonishing some of the, some of the stuff he was doing at, at that young an age. Um, Joseph also asks, who is the dirtiest or hardest man um, currently playing his trade in the league? Trade in the league. We have to what accept Hugo Barrientos from this because he's it's, now playing in the second. No, it's Gavi. No, no doubt. Every time, you know, I watch a lot of Boca's games and you think some tackles flying, and basically the comment every time you read the Boca match report afterwards is like, yeah, you know, they they saved this Gavi's life because he should have got sent off for a tackle and he only got a yellow or he was already in a book in and killed, like dug his studs into someone's knee, but he yeah. got off with it. And this is every single week you read something similar. It's unbelievable. Like, Iscavi is the dirtiest player probably in the whole of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Antos was the ultimate example and he was absolutely filthy. Yeah. Well, that game, was that game against Racing was just one, astonishing yeah. the stuff he was doing. Um, he's scraping, scraping, he's scraping his uh, studs down the back of his Achilles while the balls come dropping down for a header. You know, it's, it's all went off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. sure it's Gary does the same thing. <laughs> no, he, yeah. he did it today or like, yeah. it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's quite a few players well versed in the, in the darker arts. Yeah, yeah. To be a number f- if you're a number five in a low to middling side, then you've got to have a bit of nastiness about you, don't you? Yeah. To be fair, Camaronesi doesn't pull any punches either. <laughs> I, I, just think, I think I think Camaronesi is just a bad tackler. I just think he's uh, really uh, not really good at. Uh, well, did you uh, watch him when he was next to he's a bit, No, but he's, yeah, he's not. He's just a vicious. He's vicious, but he's just not really good at tackling. Even if you wanted to tr- cleanly tackle the guy, I don't think you could do it. So you say he's more of a Paul Scholes than a Barrientos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if Maron Camaronesi compared with Paul Scholes before. <laughs> Central midfield. Well, it's just skulls where you know dies into tackles or like. I'm, I'm fully aware of how bad a tackler Paul Skulls is. That's right. I mean, he still tries. He just, just isn't good enough to do it. He just can't <laughs> get his head around the, t- the tackling aspect of the game. Fine. Mm. Keep, you obviously got to try, and then it's you know you're going to hurt someone. It's fine as well. I don't know who you call the hardest player because it's different from the dirtiest player. Don't think there's any players. Santiago Silva has Damn. to be up there. Oh yeah, you, you wouldn't mess with Silva. He's absolutely mental, isn't he? Just yeah. I love that when he didn't get that, that, that penalty when he didn't get that penalty it's <laughs> one of my favourite things ever where he just loses it yeah. like a, like a, it's like a, yeah. a really ugly overgrown child but actually the one losing ha- it. having just called Silver a loony I've, I've been reminded of a surname that is probably in, in terms of Argentine football and he said applying the trade in the league and in fact jo- the way that Joseph phrased the question uh, he said hardest man or player um so it's open up to referees as well. I'm going to name Pablo Lanati as the one that I would really not want to run into what? in a dark alley. Lanati's an idiot. No, you're insane. Are you that scared? He's it's an idiot. He's insane. No. I know he's an idiot. I don't, I you don't, slap him and he goes down. I don't like the way that he, he... He's not hard at all. He's all shy. I, I, he's it's, it's, it's not something... Kidana. Like Kidana's hard. In yeah. referees in England or Europe where like a referee squares up to players when they're like shouting and whatever. Mm. But I, I don't think it's a good thing. Like watching, I, watching. He was at the um, San Lorenzo game. I was at the other week. Mm. And the guys, the guys are joking. I mean, if you're doing that at the expense of making the right decision, it's like anyone who likes cricket. Billy Bowden was doing all these stupid gestures at the expense of making right decisions. And uh, Lunati's been like that. He just loves the attention. That's the reason he does it. He doesn't do it to try and keep control of the game. No. Well, the by the way, uh, Lunati's reffing the Super Classic. Of course, he is brilliant. Excellent. Is he reffing on Saturday as well? Racing News. I don't know. Could be. Uh, well, it might be Delfino actually. Know. 
He's up for Eighth Wrestling News on Saturday. Is I'm sorry, we've not mentioned the upcoming weekend. At we all. can get. Probably we'll do that with your predictions, right? To use your predictions. We will. Yeah. yeah. Um, the referee for Wrestling News is Patricio Lostal. Lostal. Lunati is refereeing Union versus San Martin, so he's got the high-profile game to him in, in uh, practice before ahead of the Super Classic. Wasn't Lostal the harder time representative of Iron Commodore all the weekend? Mm. Pitana. Oh, Pitana. Um, next question is from I've just clicked on the wrong side where's Twitter gone there we go from Matthew Stanger and I suspect that this one's going to be a fairly quick answer he says what's the reaction in Argentina to Jose Pekerman's success with Colombia so far and now we will find out why I suspect it's going to be a very short answer no decent decent. it gets it gets coverage I mean they only had the game on Friday yeah which, of course, playing on the same day as Argentina, it's not going to be headline the news. Fact that, as we've already mentioned, they've got James Rodriguez and Radamel Falcao Garcia, yeah. who both and Teo, play most of their Teo players. Teo Gutierrez yeah, yeah, yeah. playing in Yeah, no, there's a lot of respect, I think, for what Pekerman's doing like in Colombia. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like it. Differ yeah. ever so slightly in the... I think certainly on Twitter, I get the feeling that people... A lot of people are still pretty angry about the 2006 <laughs> World Cup. <laughs> but uh, this is Twitter. It's full of malcontents. Yeah, and but I mean, like... Uh, maladjusted and, 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 people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is very true, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're assuming the job follows those people, though. It's clearly got more sense. Than <laughs> well, usually the people that you see throwing all sorts of shit on Twitter are, I don't know, 15 year old kids who weren't alive in oh, 2006. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Jonas, Argentine Jonas. Yeah, all right. If you think a 15 year old wasn't alive in 2006, brain wise. Joel Sked asks, I know there are still 20 months until the World Cup. Joel, you're keeping count better than we are. So, yeah, well done. That's right. um, but what does everybody think Argentina's back four will be? Uh, I didn't start reading that question before <laughs> I read it out, so I, we've answered that Although, one. Already. What I will say is anyone who's interested in Chilean football should uh, read Joel's stuff. He's yes, very, very the best out there with yep, Chilean football. Absolutely right. Very Fantastic blog, which is called. Um, it's called The Red Line. It's just chileanfootball.wordpress.com. Yes. What's your surname? Skett, S-K-E-D. S-K-E-D. His Twitter is Skett21. Sahil D asks, last three years, we've had all different, I think, uh, alternating, I'm, uh, I'm assuming, Clausura uh, and Apertura winners. Does this mean healthy competition, or does it mean something else? I don't know. I think I'm going to go for a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. I think, think we've had this conversation quite a few times. Many times. Uh, Apertura, they, yeah. It's the initial and final, of course, from this of season course. onwards. The main impact being um, Boca would have won the last Calcera, in my opinion, if they hadn't been trying to win the Libertadores. Mm. If my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle. That's yeah, the same. But, but it's in, the, in the Apertura, we've <laughs> got nothing to play for. Seriously, what does In the Apertura, like, they just have the league to think about. The Sudamericano is obviously... Kind of irrelevant, but the Libertadores, everyone probably in the same way that Santos in in Brazil this year have had like, I mean, also they got um, Neymar sort of taken off in for international duty, can't about that, but they just threw away the league to try and win the Libertadores. So now they're like tenth, you know, kind of halfway up the table because they were in the relegation zone for the first. I think for Santos, it's a very different story as well because they lose. Like Brazilian football generally doesn't pause for international breaks. So every time Brazil or the Brazil Olympic teams or the Brazil under twenties, whatever it's been, is going to play in international the Santos have had to do they, about they lost, the, they lost players for the Olympics exactly um, as I say the, during the, the, when they were in the Libertadores they were quite literally playing a completely different 11 yeah. in the league and I think and Boca did that a few times Boca against all boys against Rafael they put out an 11 entirely of kids yeah. didn't they yeah. so uh, I mean that's the main 
one of the main reasons why a team don't put that sustained challenge. That's the problem is, is as well. The way the market yeah. changes is a major issue here. I mean, a prime example is Lucho Gonzalez, who uh, was at Huracan and then moved to, to River Plate. And he played he played over 100 games for River Plate, so he's there like, quite a while. Um, these days, a player goes from Huracan, Pastore, straight to Europe. Yeah. In the old days, they always used to go to, to River and Boca. They always had more money and, and political influence and, and what have you. So they would buy up, you know, um, Rodrigo Palacios, another example, going from Banfield to Boca. Uh, he stayed there for a number of years, won loads. And so that's the thing. The market's changed. So now Lanús, Banfield, Huracan, all these clubs, they all sell straight to, yeah. straight yeah, to Europe. So, so well, the they sell to Brazil or Mexico like, as well. well. Exactly. And, um, and that's... Primarily, really, in terms of the internal market, that's changed yeah. the the way that the, the, you know, proof of the pudding is Banfield, Lanús, Arsenal, all, all winning their first. Oh, yeah. uh, and, first and what ever. to try and bring it back to the question, which was whether it's healthy competition or whether it's uh, a, a problem that the league has in terms of consistency. I guess. As we say, it's, it's a bit of both, because on the one hand, it helps the competition to remain healthier, the fact that Joel's just said the best players don't just get creamed off by River and Boca all the time prior to moving on to Europe, which gives everybody else a bit of, uh, more of a chance, let's say, than they already have. Because they've got money. A massive chance. On the other hand, it, on the other hand it indisputably makes it harder for all clubs, full stop, to keep hold of their best players in six-month spells. It's one of the managers in six-month spells. Got my friends that um, are staying with me here at the moment who know very little about Argentine football except what I constantly talk to them about. And um, it's hard for kind of someone who is from England or from Europe to understand that the, the big five that they have here, you know, they now understand there's a big five, not just a big two. But it's hard to understand that the big five aren't necessarily the best five teams in the country. In fact, they're yeah. far from it. Yeah. You know, because the, the British press talk all the time the big, about the big four, the big four being whoever last qualified for the Champions mm. League or whatever, and in Argentina, well, kind of, but, but the, the, the well, biggest, the biggest if, if five or six countries, right. the biggest five or six teams in England are the top five or six teams. Yeah. Whereas um, in Argentina, it's completely different. I mean, like you know, it's an historically. Mid-table, Rossing are obviously pushing it, and Boca up there. Independiente and San Lorenzo nowhere to be seen. But as we've said many times on Hannah Pod, the big five in Argentina, capital B, capital F, is an historically sort of sanctioned yeah. group. Which, which at one got more to do with history in terms of yeah. voting were officially recognised in the uppers as the big five. There aren't many countries when it is, where it is like that, where you've no, got totally, the totally. kind of recognised group of the biggest clubs aren't winning the title. Mm. Even in, in Chile, where you've got the, the three biggest teams, they tend to kind of alternate the title, don't they? Like Carlo Corner. Hello, and uh, we say. Oh, then they're so much better than all the other teams, like you know, historically. I don't think it was ever that extreme in Argentina. You know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I even have people um, after River got relegated last year. People tweeting me. I, I imagine that, that you guys might have done as well. I don't know. Um, uh, mentioning in their tweets, suggesting that, that River were not one of the big five anymore, and it was like, well, no, they, they are still. In, the facts, you know, because in, in England, if, say, Newcastle were one of the big four, when they went down to the Championship, they ceased to be one of the big four, and the big four mm-hmm. by that point were Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it changes depending on who's qualified for Europe and how many times no, they've done it. Liverpool. In, Ar- in Argentina, it doesn't change. It's always yeah. Racing, San Lorenzo, Independiente, River, Boca. No, but Liverpool were, until, obviously, last season... Uh, uh, hadn't won a title since 91 that didn't change last season what I mean is that they were the, the, the club with the most amount of titles yeah. and and they're still like, the, the big one of 
the obviously the biggest clubs yeah. in the country, and that's that's the position that River Plate hold. Yeah. They're, they're far so. and far away above. Uh, I mean, I think they've got eight eight titles ahead of Boca. Or even for the biggest yeah, example, Racing who have won one the title in the, the fifty years, and right. they're still a grandy. Like yeah. no one's going to argue with that. No, 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 exactly. I mean, eleven, right? Because they won the. I said one, won one, they won one title in. Oh, sorry, okay, I missed that. If you want to be really, really blunt, forty-four years. No, sorry, I've got forty-five years. Uh, KH asks what's the deal with Uruguay they're really struggling something on that would be useful and Rob Brown and I hinted at this question earlier asks how can Tavares fix Uruguay so what needs to be done especially if we're I guess following the theory that I've already espoused on this podcast that um, the gap between now and the next qualifiers is more of a chance for the manager to go home and think about what he needs to change than the, the month between the September and October qualifiers was what does Tavares need to do with Uruguay I think the sensation I get from watching Uruguay because yeah I watched all 90 minutes of the Bolivia game which obviously you know you have to allow the attitude but it was a first uh, from Uruguay perspective anyway and then obviously the 3-0 defeat against Argentina like it just seems like it's a team it's not necessarily going wrong in any particular area but it's just a team that needs to be to be taken apart and rebuilt like you get the feeling like it's sort of a real kind of Argentine South American metaphor you know it's reached the end of its cycle yeah. I think that's, so that's, the that's exactly what I was going to say the and that cycle ended at the end of 2011 they won the Copa America they'd obviously finished fourth in the World Cup with the same kind of really tight knit group of people and I think the step before this international round just gone was that in the whole qualifier so far, so far whereas like Argentina I think have used like 35 players Uruguay had only used 18 including yeah. like substitutes yeah. and yeah, it's undeniable. Like there is, uh, there are players just below who aren't getting into the squad who are around the fringes that have got talent. And I think it's time in these six months that they've got to really just overhaul every single position and see see what comes out. Because if they carry on how they're going recently, with I mean, Forlan, I don't know what you guys thought. I thought he was atrocious in both games. That just didn't look yeah. up to the pace. Lugano as well, who like gets single out because he's not a player, you know. Well, for an international captain who's not playing professional football basically apart from for his national team as I say I didn't see the Bolivia game but um, no it was atrocious against Argentina at least Forlando just more than anything just completely cut off um, Argentina mm. was so dominant in that match that he didn't really get a chance to get yeah. on the ball but I certainly agree that, that Uruguay have kind of come to that end and that they need to start thinking particularly in defence where Lugano is, is not getting any younger as the, the cliche that I mentioned last week goes um, <coughs> they've got Cuates coming through uh, they've got other good young players in, in defence who are going to be really good but they're at that awkward point where they are um, as I said earlier today and as I imagine it's going to be available slightly earlier today today being the day the podcast is, is available now on the ESPN FC um, podcast Uruguay and have become a team in transition now mm. and it always seems to happen exactly the wrong time because it always seems to happen to them in year zero because if you look through the history of the World Cup Uruguay do well in World Cups when the year ends in zero right. 1930 they won 1950 they won 1970 they got to the semi-final 1990 a long time after their heyday they got to the quarter-final and of course in 2010 they get to the semi-final again after everybody thinks three so million people that don't stand a chance you're going to have to wait until 2030 then when, when they're going to host the final right. mm-hmm. um, get your money on now uh, yeah. mathematics suggests that Uruguay operate in 20 year cycles in terms of World Cups uh, so uh, on, on that logic no I'm going to go with Quates is going to be what 47 by then let's see let's see what happens well, I think um, I, I wrote something about uh, Uruguay the other day and it was 
basically the point is um, Tabarez's um, Tabarez's halo has kind of slipped I feel a bit in the last year with, with all this poor stuff but I don't think it's kind of his fault I think he, if he was you know, the, obviously we all agree like a master kind of manager master tactician but he, I mean, he, I think he set the team out wrong for the last two games. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you're Especially against Bolivia. Because why I'm wondering whether the gap until March is going to have an effect. Because if he's only had a month in between, having looked at the last performances in September and said, right, we were crap then, mm. we need to try and bring more players in. But a month later, then naming a completely different well, squad looks far more dramatic than if he waits until March now for the next qualifiers and says, these guys are out. The I'm problem is the personnel. You've got Gaston Ramirez coming through, whatever. But okay, so the next generation is coming through. Look at the Olympic squad; uh, they, were, they were rubbish. Got knocked out first round. So the kids aren't ready to come through. You, the key areas in that team: you've got a centre back, Akel Lugano, can be replaced by Quartes. Uh, in my opinion, the problem is you've had this great midfield of um, Arevalo, Rios, and Perez, which have been solid, but they're getting old. Who's going to replace them? You've got Facundo Pidi, Facundo Pidi is at uh, Nacional, but I mean, it hasn't stepped up to that role. I mean, in the Olympics, so their midfield was powder puff. Who's going to replace Forlan? Hard to actually kind of replace him. So Abel Hernandez is supposed to be kind of coming in, but he's not flourished at Palermo really. I mean, it's Sorry, I think there's something very badly wrong with the Uruguayan national team when somebody can uh, um, when somebody can describe their midfield as a powder puff. Yeah, no, exactly. The Uruguay. Yeah. Because the only game against Bolivia they played. Um, Gargano played. Uh, Gargano and Arrival. Um, yeah, and um, Tata uh, Gonzalez was playing as well. But, the, yeah, I just, it. no, but again, it's just uh, you know, it, it's not a classic. You're right, and I think the the problem is because they haven't got these players coming through that the same. Like you know, there is no player who, who's similar to Fallout coming through. Hernandez, if you're going to play him, is a different sort of player as is Gaston Ramirez, and um, likewise, Gargano is a different sort of midfielder. If he's going to be a, a fixture in that central midfield, two Perez or Alvaro Rios. So, I think. It might get to the point where he has to change how the whole team plays to accommodate these new. Well, I think the key well, for no, Uruguay no, is going to be playing is <coughs> going to be moving to a back three. This, this, the is, is, this, this is the very point, right? That we were talking earlier about Cavani is the is a player who's done so well in, in Italy yeah. and and hasn't re, um, reproduced that for for his country, which is very rare for for Uruguay in itself. But um, but surely then this is a, a position, a, a time, and a juncture where. To put Cavani into a position where he is going to excel, which is as the out-and-out striker, number nine, um, perhaps, as you said, changing the formation. Um, but, you know, it's strange that, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I don't have, don't, don't have the answer to what, what they're going to do no. or, or what they should do, but um, it's, it's strange that Tavares hasn't uh, planned this a little bit better, perhaps, or yeah. that, that he's in such a difficult position, because... Um, because he is such a brilliant manager, and a year, ago, a year ago he was like best manager in the world. Yeah. Blah, blah 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 blah. He was getting all the accolades, Copa America, mm-hmm. you know, third in the World Cup and all the rest of it. And I'm, I just find it surprising that, that it's kind of come to kind of such a dramatic situation where we're having to talk about the chances of them qualifying. He's planned it. I think, I think he would have planned it, but if the players aren't coming through, the players aren't coming through. Maybe he's hit the Olympics made him realise how poor that squad is that he didn't mm-hmm. realise. I think they should try and maybe build it more about Cavani because otherwise it's a complete waste Suarez for me always performs for Uruguay yeah, yeah. and you could play him in and around Cavani and he'll be important front, go for a front two but they went with the front two the other day and it was so cut off and they did it and yeah. against Argentina again it was so cut off the thing is as well that this cut off issue is true but in the Copa America they I mean Opta did like really good stat kind of thing mm. of the Copa America and they you know they were showing, showing there just that Uruguay were basically playing long ball football 
It wasn't attractive football. Basically, that's, it wasn't that's exactly brilliant football. All they were by end. And, and the midfield. Yeah. Well, exactly. But the thing is that the midfield, Rios, Perez, yeah. Yb. I mean, these aren't Linicos. No, no, these no, aren't no. looking for that that final killer ball in the that last ball. third. I mean, quite the opposite. They're just there to win the ball back and then and to to get the uh, the game plan going, which was basically to hit hit it to Suarez and to Forlan straight off and then and make something happen in that final third with those three. So, I mean, perhaps we're talking about major overhaul that that Uruguay are going to have to do, but I'm not sure whether. Whether that will happen or not, I don't yeah. know. Jens, I'm going to have to cut it off here. We've got one more question, which is from Luis Bessone, and he's essentially asking about, again, uh, Sabanis' decision to stick with Fernandes and Garay at centre-back, so we've already answered that one, I think. Um, he also asked us to each try an American accent, but we're not going to do that, Luis, yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> partly because... It's, it's quite key. Partly because on, on, <laughs> on the recorder we've got five minutes of recording time left, um, which means we've gone... Massively, massively over time. We've if you didn't tell him that, we would do this a lot quicker. We've been recording for an hour and 35 minutes, uh, 45 Jeez. minutes, and I've still got to do Mystic Sam. So here is Mystic Sam's theme music, and I shall be back uh, in a minute and tell you what to bet your mortgages on this weekend. Okay, we're going to go straight into this. I'm going with Colón de Santa Fe to get an away win against Arsenal. <laughs> he's, 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 like, he's like a Raúl Colón. Colón, that's in Club de Arsenal. Is this in the um, the Premier <laughs> League? Argentina. This is in the, the Torneo Capitana Evita. Um, Colón de Santa Fe to get an away win against Arsenal de Sarandí. Argentinos Juniors and Independiente to draw. All boys in Belgrano to draw. Union to lose at home to San Martín. I think San Martín are going to make it four games without defeat. Godoy Cruz, Antonio Tomba to, to beat San Lorenzo de Almagro at home. Vélez uh, to win away to Tigre. Pressing and Newells, the big top of the table clash, second versus first. I'm copping out and I'm going for a draw. Nah. One all. Um, Mr. Malian, uh, our other professional tipster, is saying 1 1, ladies and gents, if you want to place your bets on that. Uh, River Plate to get an away win and go into the Super Classico in good form against Quilmes Rafaela to beat Lanús at home and Boca Juniors and Estudiantes to draw in La Bombonera the big story obviously this weekend is A going to be uh, two big stories in fact going to be Racing versus Newells which is the top of the table clash so uh, if Racing win they will overtake Newells at the top if Newells win they can extend their lead to as many as five points if everybody else draws or loses um and of course, how River and Boca do, which is going to feed into how those two go into the Super Classico. Next week, um, we will have a Super Classico preview for you all. Mm. Uh, the first ever hand of Pod was a, a Super Classico preview of a Super Classico that was going to be played in the Monumento. And almost two years on, um, we will be back back in. We'll try and get Seve involved. If we're resting at top, I reckon we're we'll the, the problem with Seve is that trying to get him on hand of Pod these days is trying like trying to herd cats. Um, it's just not possible. Um, but we do have two and a half minutes left. So now at this junction, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to say goodbye. Uh, first of all, from English Dan. Goodbye. From Joel. Goodbye. Mr. Malian. Farewell. And goodbye from me. Uh, goodbye, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.